Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney, and I want to thank you for joining me here for another episode here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I'm also on Facebook Live, so if any of you are not doing anything, you're not at work because you're off because you're being furloughed or because of the coronavirus, give me a call, 516-387-1914. I'm going to try to use my soft, sexy voice because I've been talking for loud for so long till I am still kind of hoarse, So, and I don't know how to whisper, but I'm going to do my best. So today's show, again, is one of those interesting shows, and I want to thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me and waking me up this morning. I hope my auntie don't forget to call, and Thea, don't you forget to call either, so I can have someone on the show with me, so I won't be on the air talking to myself, because with it being Mental Health Awareness 2020, I've had to work on my own mental health issues in regards to making sure that I'm not stressed out, I'm not overwhelmed, or I'm not overwhelmed, and my grandson is not driving me crazy, nor my son. So with that being said, the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, do you or someone you know have symptoms of mental health or mental wellness? Are you aware that one in four Americans suffer from some type of mental illness. And a lot of times I don't like using the word illness because that kind of puts a stigma on it or people say that people are crazy, and they're not crazy. But these individuals could be your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, and even a coworker or yourself. Now, today's show is designed to address the importance of awareness regarding mental health, mental wellness, or however you want to put it. Because awareness can ease identification and can help provide early treatment for individuals as well as result in better recovery and a faster recovery. Because a lot of times we talk about these things, if the subject is so taboo, many individuals are afraid of certain things. They're afraid of medication. They don't know what to do if their kids are experiencing symptoms. So that's what we're going to talk about it. Because when I saw that since 1949, the month of May have been the month of mental health awareness, and yet I didn't know anything about mental health myself, until the late 80s, early 90s, I'm like, wow. So that kind of speaks for why we are still trying to make sure everybody is aware. So let me log on. My first guest. Good luck. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Miss Jeanette. How are you? I am still working on my mental health because, you know, Ryder was testing me last night. He was trying to take me there. So how is he doing Hi. today with Hi, Ryder. <laughs> you wanted to be on the air today too, Ryder? Yeah. You wanted to be on the radio today? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Ryder. I appreciate it. Okay. Now he was in his room. He was in his room watching TV and eating watermelon until he heard your voice. <laughs> And then he ran out, probably trying to wonder if I was there. Probably thought he, you know, because yeah. when you have 
know, visual hallucinations, you know, that kind of go towards schizophrenia. So um, we try to make sure he don't, he don't have to deal with, with that one because, ooh, he was driving me nuts last night. Now, it is believed that awareness can assist many with accessing services, and many individuals are unaware of how to access services. And there's also a lack of access due to misinformation and cultural language barriers. So we're going to talk about that today. Bia, I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm also still on Facebook Live. I'm trying to get people to join in and call because with all of this stuff that's going on, and I know you're in school right now and you've been taking some classes as it relates to mental health, and this is such mm-hmm. a taboo subject, even though it's 2020. And you and I kind of had a conversation about the most common types of mental health-related issues. And I want to share yes. some information that I found out. And when I was looking at, and I Googled it, because Google can be my best friend sometimes, I looked up the mm-hmm. most common, this was in 2011, so that was nine years ago. It was depression, anxiety, panic disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So that was just in 2011. That doesn't account for what adults are going through only or whether it's children or whether it's our seniors because we know that mental health issues do not discriminate. And I know even with kids right. a long time ago, they were diagnosing children. When I had children with ADHD, that was really big, and autism was really big. But, see, now things are so wide range too, it's all over the place. Then I found something, and it said in 2018, they were talking about amongst adults, it was major depression episodes, which was 7.2% or 17 million Americans, schizophrenia, which was 1% or 1.5 million Americans, bipolar disorder, which was 2.8 estimated 7 million Americans, and anxiety disorder, which was 11.1, which is 48 million Americans. That is high. And, you know, Thea, and a lot of us are dealing with adjustment disorder because of the coronavirus. Now, and when you add substance use to it, then we got co-occurring disorders. But tell the listeners who you are, what you're doing, how you're trying to make a difference, and what you want to share as it relates to Health Awareness 2020. Okay, so my name is Thea. I am a recovering alcoholic who is also diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type 2 depressive, which to me, I mean, um, what I'm trying to do, what I'm working on right now is becoming a substance abuse counselor because um, I feel like, you know, in my life, one of the main things I did was I self-medicated. I never realized I had a problem with alcohol. Drugs are also a part of my story, which I've been off of drugs since 2001 for 19, over 19 years now. I've only been off of alcohol for a little over two years now. And um, once I stopped doing drugs, I thought that my life should start getting better because I wasn't living the way I used to. I wasn't doing, uh, hanging out with the same type of people I was. But what the alcohol allowed me to do was hide the fact that I did have some kind of mental challenges going on in that my thinking was twisted, my perception was out of shape, and um, 
I had been drinking for so long that I couldn't see that alcohol was a problem. You know, I, all I saw was that people had problems with me and it fed into my paranoia. I believe that once I started drinking, then I became aggressive and violent. I believe that people already knew what they were getting when they came into my face and they were trying to push my buttons. And I believed I was always being conspired against and people were out to get me. They were jealous of me, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I came out fighting because, and and I came out fighting because I felt like if I made the first move, then it let them know that I knew what they were all about and they weren't going to get over on me. And as I as I came to get sober, I realized that a lot of that was just my thinking. Now you see, I had to um, I had to accept for starters that I needed to take some kind of medication. If I hadn't have been on medications, I would have never been able to stay sober because my mind I was too paranoid, I was too nervous around other people. I fall in the category of all kind of disorders: social anxiety, depressive disorder, manic depressant disorder. I mean. Uh, Narciss- narcissistic disorder, all that, but they just sum it up with schizoaffective disorder. But if I had not have gotten off the alcohol and stayed on medications, I would have never been able to comply with cognitive behavior therapy, which was my real lifesaver. I mean, for, for starters, God was my lifesaver. He delivered me from the obsession to drink because without that obsession being lifted, I wouldn't have been open to anything else. With a bottle in my hand, I couldn't do nothing. And so the cognitive behavior therapy enabled me to see that my thinking had me trapped. I couldn't see that I couldn't see what I couldn't see because all I could see was what I could see. It, it, I mean, I can't, that's the only way I can explain it. Cognitive behavior therapy did wonders for me. And the only reason I even got um, willing to do that and submitted to that is because my mother had recently passed away and she used to always tell me out there, you better get yourself together because one of these days they're going to lock you up and no one's going to be around to help you. And so when I got out of jail for another felony assault, the judge ordered a psychological evaluation. I was so nervous. I kept telling JC, this is it. This is what my mom was talking about. And I kept telling him, we're not married. You're not going to be able to sign me out of no institution. I was panicked, but I knew I had to go because I was facing eight years in prison and I didn't want to go to prison. So I knew I had to go to that psychological evaluation. I was so worried that they were going to try to commit me and there would be nobody to get me out of the institution. And as God would have it, he was working in my life then, and he knew that it would take a court order for me to take a psychological evaluation. He had already relieved me of the obsession to drink. And so what, what the psychological evaluation turns out, what the, what the court-ordered psychologist said was I needed to go through a year's worth of cognitive behavior therapy, weekly sessions. I was so relieved when we walked out of that courthouse in San Diego. I was almost dancing. Boy, you should have seen me. You asked JC, boy. I was like I was stepping on clouds because I just thought they was going to lock me up in an insane asylum and I was going to be there for the rest of my life. And so I was responsive to the cognitive behavior therapy. I was on psycho- I was on um, neuroleptics. I was on uh, Risperdal and, and Seroquel. I was taking them as ordered because I was paranoid. You see, I stayed paranoid. I believed that when they was testing me at probation, that they was also testing me to see if I was taking my 
medications. Now, I know those those tests are expensive, but my, my psychosis had me believing that it was still a conspiracy and they were going to try to trip me up. And so, but because of that, I stayed in compliance. And after a year's work, as I got into the cognitive behavior therapy and became responsive to it and seeing that maybe these other people really did have a mental illness, I, I was open to more groups. I was going to AA, so I was open to fellowship. I didn't want to die in an alley with a bottle, so I knew I had to be receptive to living life differently. So I was listening to the people at the AA meetings. I was forming relationships. I was listening to the people in my cognitive behavior therapy groups, and I started going to other groups like RAP, uh, Wellness Recovery and Action Plan. And here were people that didn't have um, arrest histories. Well, some of them did, but didn't have the history that I did, but had the mental illness and had the symptoms and stories that I did. So it was like, wow, I'm looking at these people and you would have never pegged them in. I would have never pegged them in a million years for someone with a mental illness. And so it just made me really receptive. I started to feel normal, like I could blend in if I could change my thinking. And so it became even more important to me to, to pay attention. Cognitive behavior therapy really, really helped me see that I couldn't see past my own thinking. Okay. All right, dear. I thank you for sharing. And I want to say you brought up a lot of different facts. One of them is a lot of times we see these things in children. We can see them at a, at a very young age. And sometimes it can mask itself and turn into something else to where we don't know what it may turn into, especially when we start looking at childhood pervasive pervasive developmental disorders, which is one thing. Um, I heard you as you were talking, some of the things could have been um, hereditary, some things are environmental, some things can be substance um, abuse or substance-induced because it goes back to we don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. And um, like I said earlier, I am a licensed therapist. And being a licensed therapist, I often have the experience of working with individuals to address the symptoms as it relates to depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, dissociative identity disorder. So there's so many different things. And we learn also, Thea, what the DSM-5 is, and even before then, is things fall into clusters because sometimes we get the personalities disorders confused with the mental illnesses based on the symptoms. And, you know, and then sometimes you brought up medication regimen where some individuals are so afraid of medications because there have been individuals that have been misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, not diagnosed at all, and many people are afraid of medication. But what gets me is they're afraid of medication, but they're not afraid to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol, not realizing what methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin, and alcohol will do to the brain. So part of this is, and you have to, when you're dealing with someone that's dual diagnosed, you have to figure out which one you're going to treat first. Some people say treat the, the, um, the addiction first, and other people say treat the mental health first. But then it also depends on the person. And it's very mm-hmm. interesting You have to get a psychosocial history of the individual in order to know what type of therapy.
therapy they're going to be receptive to because you talked about cognitive behavioral. And right now, Thea, there are so many different types of treatment and so many different types of things that are out there that are available. So it's mind-boggling, but we have to stay away from calling people crazy. And that's what happens is people get caught up with the stigma the taboo, and it's not fair to individuals because that kind of deterred them from seeking help. Now, with all that you were saying, and I'm going to say the word crazy. Has anybody ever called you crazy, Thea? Oh, I used to. Um, I used to call myself that. I used to tell people all the time, um, "Don't call." Well, I used to tell people that that bitch crazy. I used to tell them, you know what? Well, use my title when you address me. It's that crazy bitch to you. I used to tell people all the time, being crazy keeps me sane. <laughs> and I really believed that. I should, I really did believe that. I mean, there, there was so much that I had wrapped my mind. My mind had wrapped around. My mind had wrapped so many scenarios in my head that I believed it. I believed it's who I was. It, it, it was what made me invincible. Uh-huh. Wow. And you know what? And it's interesting that you said with being invincible because when I grew up in Compton, and I did not know what mental health issues were. I really didn't. Um, let me see. Hi, sis. Can I? Huh? Somebody, oh, send me something. Can I use your phone to call heaven? I'm like, wait a minute. Did my phone call heaven? <laughs> Just got a text message. I'm like, wait a minute. How you? I'm thinking somebody had a question for the show. They go text me. Talking about, can I use your phone to call heaven? I wish I could use my phone to call heaven, but try it, baby. It might work. But um, getting back to what we were <laughs> That one kind of just threw me off, you know. But getting back to what I was saying, when we're talking about with this, these issues, when we're talking about mental health and being called names, a lot of times, like I said, especially as kids, we have to get to the underlying issue of what's going on. Individuals are not even aware of how childhood trauma plays a role in mental health issues, how Witnessing domestic violence plays a role in mental health issues. How people are dealing with this coronavirus and this pandemic is causing mental health issues as far as anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD. It's it's just so much. And yet when we talk about being aware, what do you think it is, and especially with you being a student, Thea, what is it that we are supposed to be aware of? Uh, you know what? I would think the main thing is the big part of awareness for me, if if, if people are listening and want to know, is that more people than we realize suffer from some kind of disorder and being aware of the symptoms I mean, if you know someone, if you just even like them a little bit, then familiarize yourself with with Mm. mental illnesses. Familiarize yourself with mental disorders and make a friend. I mean, you could save a life because what we don't realize, I just realized, I just read in my book, Abnormal Psychology, for my class to complete my degree, is like you were saying, there is like 20, I think it's almost 50% or 20, I, I can't find the chapter. I was looking for the chapter, but there are so many, I'm going to say like two out of every 10 people suffers from some kind of mental illness 
and it goes untreated. So you might see someone acting out, like you were saying earlier. You might see someone doing drugs. You might see someone drunk all the time, pissing on themselves, sitting in the piss, not moving. But you don't know what that person is dealing with. You might make a friend and save a life. You might find that there's a beautiful brain inside of that messed up mind. And if you help them dig it out, they will be indebted to you for life. True. It's, it's, It's out there. Yeah, it's interesting you said that, Thea, because as you were speaking on that and talking about making a friend and getting to know someone, my daughter was sharing with me about Ryder, and you know we've been watching his behavior. And my mm-hmm. daughter was saying, Ryder do well with children that are autistic or that have um, different mental health issues because he has compassion and he likes to help. And mm-hmm. we always about these things because before people used to be afraid. They would run from them. They would shun them. And they used to even beat them up back when I was in school. You know, if a person had yeah. a mental illness or we viewed them as different, they were treated differently. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the yeah. awareness. We have to acknowledge it because, you know, I had a lady and I was hoping she would call in because we did very well when we did a show together before. She was sharing how she learned about mental health issues because her mother was suffering from manic depression. My mother was depressed. My sister had issues of depression. And when I was a kid growing up, I didn't know what was going on with them. All I know is it was getting on my nerves because those were certain things that I tried to stay away from when it came to depression and with schizophrenia. We saw someone talking to themselves, we would laugh at them. And to be honest, that's not funny because they actually hear and see things. And individuals don't realize that when individuals have been molested as a child, how they can develop symptoms of dissociative identity disorder. And they bring on different characters where it's okay to play with different things or make up names and stories when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, people don't understand these things. So we do need to be more aware. Now, I'm looking at some of my childhood friends. I see Sean is watching. I see um, Dion is watching. He said, hello, hello, Dion. You know, Sean, you know I can click you on and bring you on if you want to talk. Just let me know. If you want me to bring you on Facebook, you know, I don't know if you're, you're kind of dressed or whatever and you want to be on and talk about these things. And we can talk about some of the things that we even saw even in our own community because this is something where we have to start locally, even start in our homes first. Acknowledge it in your home. If your husband, because a lot of times men do not like seeking mental health services or even going to the doctor, but if you notice that your husband is depressed or your wife is depressed or you're seeing it with your kids or your grandkids, we have to say something and do something. That's part of the awareness. Don't go run. Don't go hide. Don't go send them off to grandma's house or something, someplace. We got to learn how to do, do better. I always say, and Dr. Phil said it too, when we know better, we do better. Now, Thea, I'm looking at something, and it's talking about mental illness, and it says that mental illness are common, very common in the United States, and nearly one in five. First I said one in four. This is one in mm-hmm. five back in 2017 yeah. issues. And the conditions include many different conditions that vary in degrees of severity. Now, when I start talking about severity, 
that's when we start talking about even with depression. If you know somebody that's suicidal because they're suffering from symptoms of depression, you got to be aware of what to say and what not to say. Like you said, Thea, that could be saving somebody's life. I want to give the listeners some information when we start with NAMI. NAMI is an organization that also helps individuals that are dealing and suffering from things. You can call 1-800-950-NAMI, or you can text NAMI at 741741. If you have insurance, See, a lot of individuals don't realize that many of their medical insurance covers mental health and behavioral issues. It don't cover couples counseling, parent-child relational issues, but it does cover certain things. Or you can also utilize your EAP, which is Employee Assistance Program, if your employer offers that type of service. And also, we used to say call 411. You can also now call 211. 211 is InfoLink, and they will give you information regarding community resources in your area that can help. There is so many different resources and so much help out there available now to where we don't even realize it. Any comments in regards yeah. to that? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I just found um... – Part of the part of what I was looking for, but this part's on specifically schizophrenia. And like this, to let you know, I wasn't reading my book. I was just kind of thinking, oh, I already know. And I did pretty good with that chapter, though. But um, they're, they're basically saying what I just said because they're talking about psychotherapy, and it says before the discovery of antipsychotic drugs, psychotherapy was not really an option for people with schizophrenia. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just saying that because until I got stable on the medications, but I see I had to stay on the medications. See, for me, it was a life thing. You know, it was a life or death thing, and I knew that because alcohol had tried to kill me, but God didn't let it. And I knew if I drank again, I was going to die. And so I had to do things differently, and I had to do things, everything different. So I became compliant with the medications until I was willing to go because they talk about right here, these therapists believe that the first task of such therapy was to win the trust of patients with schizophrenia. And that's hard to do when trust with paranoia is your... Is your biggest thing. And so, you know what? It's just, um, it's amazing. You know what? Like you said, that, that, that what you looked up said one in five, and that, that go with what I said, because I said like every two out of ten people. And um, it's just, it's, it's for real. If you're, standing, if you're standing in line and there's ten people in line, that means two people there have a mental disorder. And here's the funny part. You might be one of them. Thank you. So don't look at the other people. Don't look at the other people around you. Like, why is that person acting strange? Because you might have a brain. You might have a brain that has blocked out your own disability. So what you see other someone else doing is odd and abnormal, but really it's what you're doing. So I mean, that's just something to think about. If one out of every five people have a mental disorder, and the four people standing around you look normal, then maybe you ought to know more about mental disorders. That's true. Now, I brought up something, uh, Thea, and I was talking about some of the barriers. Now, there are some key barriers that are limiting patients' access to mental health. One of them is the mental health clinician shortage. There is a shortage of individuals, and especially in certain communities, because you know, Thea, 
I'm trying to work from home now. I'm in my office today, and it seems like a ghost town, even though there's other therapists in the area. But I am in my office. And I was telling you I felt like I was being discriminated against because I get um, emails from Psychology Today and I get phone calls where individuals are only calling me because because I'm black. And they'll say, I want a black therapist because they feel that other individuals do not understand a lot of African-American issues. Now, there is a lot of truth to that, but then I also know being a therapist and owning two different companies with five different locations is I've worked with some therapists that had mental health issues themselves where they are taking psychotropic medications for different things such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. And, I mean, because I remember there was one lady I knew I would work with her, and I would watch her do certain things, but she was great when she was working with clients. And I used to be like, are they going to figure this out? You know, but there is a shortage. So if you all want to be in this field, it does require, you know, a higher education, but it doesn't mean that it's not you won't be able to, to achieve it. Also, some individuals we have what's called life coaches. Some life coaches feel also help in the field, and some individuals that are, we're talking about dual diagnosis, we're talking about drug and alcohol, meaning that if there's a substance abuse issue, a lot of individuals do not receive mental health treatment until they have been diagnosed with a substance abuse issue. So the mental mm-hmm. health issue is one, limited mental health access party, meaning that's a whole other issue. And when we start talking about fragmented mental and physical health access, a lot of communities, growing up in Compton, Thea, I don't know where no mental health clinics were. I really don't, unless you went probably downtown in L.A. Another thing mm-hmm. is the, the key barriers limiting patients' access to mental health is the social stigma and limited mental health awareness. You know, see, a lot of individuals still don't understand and some individuals with that stigma there, they're afraid, they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, and we need to do better. If You shouldn't be embarrassed if you have a child or someone with a mental health issue or mental health concern. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. So we have to stop, you know, doing that to ourselves. Any comments? Right. I just think, um, you know, uh, as far as, uh, like, mental health availability, it's, it's true, it's limited. However, um, payment for mental health services has become a little easier the more we become aware of mental health disorders and how widely, um, how, how greatly it affects people, the numbers of people it affects. Uh, they are making payments easier. I mean, someone can start going to... Uh, like a mental health clinic and have uh, little to no income and start receiving services. And you can best believe a county agency is going to get paid. If you qualify for services, they will get you approved for Medi-Cal or whatever else so that you can continue services there. And that is a good way to get started on medications. But I believe that the stigmas, okay, not only just from – Stigmas are, are not just in society, but I, I think a, a lot of it's the, the, the diversity. When you get into different cultures and uh, different heritages and backgrounds, they're like, oh no, you know, you can't, you know, I'm gonna I'm use one of my one of my um, one of my um, heritage, my line of um, 
I'm going to use right. one of my mom's people for for in right. example. Like, you know, you can't be a crazy Indian. It's because you're drinking or because you're on drugs. You know, there ain't no such thing as a crazy Indian. If I would have gone back as far as my grandma, my mom's mom, you know, because um, I know uh, my grandma used to just tell me when I was growing up, you're special. But I think uh-huh. they saw it way back when I was young that I was having mental issues because, you know, I started drinking when I was six years old. So my grandmother used to tell me that I was special. I could it's, I could see faces, and I used to tell my grandma. My grandma used to tell me you're special. You're special. That's why you see people who see faces and things are special, but do not tell everybody because they will not understand. And see, that's right. just how it goes, you know. So you grow up with this thinking you're special, and then you get drunk one day in an alley with some people, and you tell them you're seeing some faces, and they call you crazy or they think you're high, and so you don't know how to deal with it. Correct, and you know. See it. A lot of times people do see it, but they just didn't know what it was. And um, we talked a little bit, we talked about this awareness, and we talked about the stigma, and there is still a poor understanding of mental illness. And that poor understanding is why we have to basically speak and continue to share information. And, and it shouldn't just be the month of May. We need to do better. I like the fact that they're doing different things when it comes to being your video. Okay, so, okay, Sean, I'm trying to see how I can add you on. Okay, let me bring you on. Sean wants to be on here. She told me I can bring her on. I'm trying to click. I guess I can add. Okay, so I'm adding you on, Sean. Okay, so we start talking about these things, Thea, and Sakura, thank you, Sean. I did add you on. How you doing? Everybody. Everybody is fine. Thank you for wanting to be on. I'm trying to learn this Facebook thing and, and trying to do these video things because when we started talking about accessing and mental health awareness, and, you know, we grew up right down the street from each other. And I want to say instead of talking about not only just the stigma and the poor understanding of mental illness, but a lot of times, the when when the mental health is untreated, that is a big issue because even today we have many individuals that still have not been treated. For some reason, Shannon, it seems like you got a lot of background noise on the Facebook. I'm trying to see your face. I'm going to come in on my computer because I'm not understanding. It's not easy at all. Gotcha. Okay. We're just trying to do it on your computer then. Okay. Um, Thea, let's talk a little bit about yes. untreated. Let's talk a little bit about untreated mental health. Because a lot of times individuals go untreated. Um, I think, okay, like with me, okay, my thing was, okay, my mother got me involved in mental health when I was like around, I'm going to say nine, between the years of nine through 11. I'm not exactly sure when, but um, I want to say like nine or 10 years old. Cause, um, and uh, because she thought I was weird. Okay, now, I didn't, um, before, okay, and that was before my very first diagnosis. I think my first diagnosis was, like, I was, like, 10 or 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had first, uh, I remember they diagnosed, okay, now, they don't have all these fancy labels that they have now. They diagnosed me with peoplephobia. And you tell me how you explain you explain to a child that they have people phobia 
And, uh, okay, but I was excelling in school. I was a straight-A student. I didn't have a problem with people. I had the people in my life that God gave me to had problems with me. Um, so if I didn't want to know any new people and you couldn't understand that, then that's okay. But a lot of that was not out in the open. As far as untreated mental illness, as I grew, okay, now I started to graduate labels. I was non-responsive to my, I was, I was non-compliant with my therapist. And so they labeled me, today it would probably be autism, okay, but it wasn't because I was, okay, they, but what the, the label they gave me was catatonic schizophrenic. Wow. Because, because I didn't I didn't have a lot going on in my head was from the abuse I had suffered, which was sexual, mental, physical, you know, and um, I didn't want to talk about it. Okay. I didn't want to tell everybody. And so what was going on in my life was none of your business because I was in and out of foster homes. I didn't like being in foster homes. I wanted to be at home, and I knew enough that if I told you about the things that were still going on, you probably would have me taken away again, and I wasn't going to do that. So my life was not your business, and so I wouldn't talk to the doctors. So they labeled me catatonic schizophrenic. And wow. then by the time I was by the time I was 16 years old, I had gotten into my first serious relationship. I'd had two children by then. I was married to a man who was an atheist, and um, he took me to hypnotherapy. I used to have a place where I could escape into my head, which I called it. I don't remember. I don't even remember the name of it. it was Little Village. Long story short, I could I could cross a bridge, and there were talking animals waiting for me. They were always waiting, happy to see me. That was when I was in my moments of catatonia. Well, I knew I hadn't gone anywhere because I could still see you. So if you thought I was different, then that just meant you weren't welcome in my world. Okay, but after the hypnotherapy, I could not. I couldn't cross that bridge anymore. It was like I'd turn around and go to that bridge, and it was just a wall there. And so I became. I became very paranoid because you you had blocked my you had blocked my passage into my safe place. Now I was forced to see what was going on around me, and if it was all because you wanted to know what was going on in my head, then I'm going to tell you. Then they labeled me paranoid schizophrenic. Okay, well nothing had changed with me. Only instead of being quiet now, I was talking, and so. I didn't agree with you. Okay, baby. I didn't agree with you because I didn't think you knew anything about me. So now you want to pump me full of drugs. And I wasn't okay with that because I didn't like what the drugs did with me because I had to be the one inside my head. You did it. And so if all you had to go by is what I was telling you, then the best thing for me to do would be to shut up. And I just graduated from one label to the next, this medication, that medication. The medications never agreed with me. The best thing that worked for me was alcohol. Mm. And so my, 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 my mental illness went untreated for lots of years because mm-hmm. I didn't think that you knew me. And so how could you medicate me? And you know what, Thea, and that's one of the biggest issues, especially in the African-American culture, is when we're talking about medication because a lot of times when we take our children or we go to the doctor, we being someone that don't, being seen by someone that don't look like us, don't sound like us, we don't understand them, they don't understand us, and the first thing they want to do is give us a prescription for a pill. And what happens yeah. is they give us medication for this and the medication for that, and you take all these medications and it's not getting you anywhere. And then some individuals say, well, just go to church, go pray. 
Now, it doesn't mean that prayer doesn't change things or people are, cannot be healed and delivered, but sometimes you've got to find the right treatment. And even myself, because I'm experienced with working within the population of the criminal justice system, a lot of individuals go untreated until they wind up getting in trouble or they get arrested or they are, and, and even in school sometimes, because I know even with my son, for a long time, the school ignored my son because at that time he was not a behavior problem. So it wasn't until he became a behavior problem that they said, mm, maybe something's going on with him. But up until that point, he was getting away with money. Didn't nobody know what was going on with him. But I started seeing certain things, and I didn't know his father had symptoms of schizophrenia. If I would have known that, girl, ain't no way I'd have messed with that man. But at the time, I did not know. And so... We have to be careful when we're talking about issues untreated and the causes and the effects that they occur. Now, the untreated mental illness is still a concern in the United States because still today, Thea, research is showing, and I'm getting this information from the Princeton EDU, but even though it's a little older, but they indicated that in the United States, about 43.8 billion adults have a mental illness. Again, that's equal to 1.5. And the problem is, and they also claim that even with the 40% of the adults with the severe mental illness, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorders, did not receive treatment. So it was a long, long time before these individuals were able to get help. And untreated mental illness is due not only to the effects of adults but children as well because approximately 17 million children in the U.S. have or have had mental illness, but most are not treated. And Thea, it's scary. And, and back in the day, I'll never forget, people were sending their kids to go be seen only because they wanted a check. And we can't just make them or make them to where we get paid because our children are demonstrating symptoms and signs of some type of mental illness or mental health or mental health concern. But you know, the, when we start talking about the kid next door, you know, you know, like we be trying to keep an eye on Ryder, making sure he ain't hitting the dogs. He ain't, you know, because um, <laughs> there, <are, laughs> there are some symptoms. So I want to get to the symptoms. We talked about the um, the the lack of um, assistance. Sometimes I gave you some information. We talked about individuals with currently untreated mental health issues and what the main issues were. And like I said, um, I also want to talk about how stress. Let's talk about how stress plays a role in mental illness, too, Thea. Stress. Yes. I think, okay, like for me, um, it depends on where your mindset is. And I'm going to go back to the untreated days where I was drinking. Okay, now stress is the one thing that I never knew how to handle. I didn't know how to deal with. I really probably couldn't even tell you before what stress was. I just knew that the times that I felt I needed to drink were the times that it was less, I was less likely going to be able to respond to anyone or anything Positive, positive, positively, because I didn't have those skills. So, mm -hmm. but it was the one thing that if I was feeling some type of way and I drank to help me better feel that way, it was it was never good because 
I didn't know how to deal with people. I didn't know how to deal with stress. I didn't know how to identify my feelings. I just knew. I don't. You know what? That's a good one. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I just knew that. I just knew that if I drank, the thoughts I didn't want to process went away. Yeah, but I didn't know how to handle the alcohol. So I listen. I come from a family where there's all type of stuff going on, you know, and was going on. Some are still alive. Some have passed and moved on. But um, as you were saying that, I was thinking about my auntie. I had an aunt. She used to always say, I'm going to take my I don't give a damn pills. So whenever something would stress her out or drive her, she would just resort to pills, you know. But I want to give mm-hmm. the listeners signs and symptoms of mental illness, even though they can vary depending on the disorder and circumstances and other factors. But mental illness symptoms can affect emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. And see, we've done other shows that talked about that, but your emotions, what you're thinking, and what you're doing is what give people a tell sign that something's going on. Well, these are some examples of signs and symptoms. Feeling sad or down. If you are feeling sad or down more than normal, you may be having symptoms of depression. Confused thinking or reduced ability to concentrate. Excessive fears or worries or extreme feelings of guilt. That plays a big role too, Thea. Um, Extreme mood changes, meaning your highs and your lows, you see that a lot in bipolar disorder, sometimes in anxiety, generalized anxiety. Withdrawal from friends and activities. I know I just experienced the passing of a very, very close friend, and i got to make some phone calls, so that's why I'm on Facebook Mm -hmm. Live so you guys can see I'm okay, because people have been wondering how I'm doing, what you're doing. Part of it is I haven't been able to talk because my my voice is all jacked up. But, um, again, the withdrawal from friends and activities, significant tiredness, low energy, or problem sleeping can also be a sign of a mental illness. Detachment from reality, delusions, paranoia, or hallucinations, meaning seeing things that are not there, hearing things that you don't, that other people don't hear. Another one is inability to cope with daily problems or stress. Trouble understanding, a phone on the ring, trouble understanding and relating to situations and to people. Another one is problems with alcohol or drugs. Major changes changes in eating habits, sex drive changes. See, that's another one. People don't understand how mental illness can also affect their sex drive. Excessive anger, hostility or violence, and suicidal thinking. Now, I want to mm-hmm. talk and hear a lot when it came to the excessive anger, hostility, and violence. A lot of times when we see um, individuals that are involved in gangs, when we see individuals that are committing um, murders or there are some things going on on the inside of them, and a lot of times we overlook these things. Now, sometimes symptoms of mental health disorder appear as physical problems, such as stomach pains, back pains, headaches, or other unexplained aches and pains. So, Thea, based on some of the symptoms that I described, do you have any comments? I think the the biggest one that stood out for me when you're talking about him is the anger and the aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, paranoia will lead up to that, okay? Um, 
Paranoia, okay, and this goes back to untreated uh, illnesses. You know, schizophrenia left untreated will, okay, I used to get mad when I'd be in jail and I'd see somebody got arrested for murder and they're talking about, oh, the person was schizophrenic. I've never killed anybody in my life and I've been diagnosed schizophrenia for the majority of it. Um, but it used to piss me off. Until, but see, and see, I always could hide my symptoms behind the drugs and the alcohol because I could say, oh, because, okay, well, up until like 20 years ago, I could say, oh, well, I poured vodka on meth, and everybody knows when you do that, you go crazy. I was running around with knives trying to cut people up, but everybody on meth don't do that. So, you know, what's that tell you? Um, so, but like with the alcohol, um, like, like I was saying earlier, I had just gotten out of jail for another felony assault. When I got sober, my anger was fierce. It had me scared. I remember one morning I was leaving a place and there was some people by my car and the guy was leaning on my car. And I mean, I would just went from polysocial to psycho Susie in the fl- in the snap of a finger. I mean, I was yelling so loud. I, I just cut across the street without looking either way, just d- looking dead in my car, you know, like, who the hell did... Why, my first thought was they're trying to get into my car. They're trying to poison my dog. Or they're trying to... All kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not my first thought. My first few hundred thoughts was just oh. all that they're trying to sabotage my car, poison my dog. They're trying to try me. They think because I'm sober. And I mean, I just had so many thoughts go through my head. At one time, I didn't think about cars coming once I was crossing the street. I just beelined straight across the street. I was yelling, talking so loud, so loud in a voice that I didn't recognize. One, I always blamed on alcohol and drugs that mm-hmm. came back in a snap of a finger. I mean, to the point where the people were coming out the building that I had just left walking behind me because they knew what I'm like when I sound like that. And I thought, and I got to the car and they had barely even moving and they should, should have moved. Oh my goodness. And here I'm thinking they should have moved fast enough. And so when I opened my door, I'm glad that one of the guys had moved because I opened my door. Oh my goodness. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a toughly built car. I opened the door so hard. My intent was to slam the door into him, but he had moved. And I thought, and after they had left, I thought, Oh my Goodness, yeah. those are the kind of actions that get me arrested. I'm cold stone sober. And I had like, you know, less than 60 days sober. I went straight to a meeting and started talking about it. And then I had a group that day and I talked about it then. I mean, it was those kind of things that I had to come to terms with. You know, I couldn't have blamed it on any drugs. I couldn't have blamed it on any alcohol. It was my way of thinking. I saw nothing but those two guys. I can't even tell you how long it took me to get from my build, the building I just left to my car. But I can tell you there were three people standing around, three big people standing around waiting to subdue me because they didn't know what was getting ready to happen. Okay. I want to say when to see a doctor. If you're having any signs and symptoms of mental illness, See your primary care provider or a mental health professional because most mental illnesses does not improve on their own. A lot of times we think things are just going to go away, and they don't. 
If untreated, a mental illness may get worse over time and cause serious problems. And the problems are not only within the way a person is feeling about themselves. The problem can also affect one's um, relationship with others, and it can also become a community issue. And if you have suicidal thoughts, suicidal thoughts and behaviors are common with some mental illnesses. And if you think you may hurt yourself or attempt suicide, get help right away. And like I said, the Internet is a great source of resource for those individuals that are struggling. You can also call 911 or your local emergency number immediately, which is 211. Call your mental health specialist and call a suicide hotline number in the U.S., which the National Suicide Prevention is 1-800-723-TALK or 1-800-723-2855. Now, I want to read some of the information that I'm looking because I kind of stayed on Facebook Live to try to get more information out there to individuals that are within my Facebook or on my Facebook page. And I want to say in regards to helping a loved one, if your loved one basically shows signs of mental illness and have an open and honest discussion with you about it, address your concerns, but let them know you care. Do not be judgmental. Do not tell them right. that they are crazy. There's certain things you should say, certain things you should not say. And sometimes they want you to just listen. Now, I'm going to go to the Facebook and see some of the information. Somebody basically indicated, um, Nancy indicated certain medication does not work for Native Americans. Wellbutrin has helped my people. And it's interesting with the Wellbutrin because Wellbutrin, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'm very well knowledgeable in a lot of medications because I've had experience in working with a lot of different companies, and I mean clients, and um, working with um, different psychiatrists. Now, with Wellbutrin, that is a old medication that was also used to treat anxiety, and it was also used to help individuals with obsessive-compulsive disorders and for individuals that were smoking cigarettes. You know, that was one that also helped. Um, another one, um, Linda indicated, I can relate to her because I drowned everything into alcohol, so I wouldn't be able to face it head on. But mm-hmm. what – but it was – I'm trying to open it up because she got to see more. It won't let me do it. But a lot of individuals do self-medicate. Another individual indicated, Sean, LaShawn said, sleeplessness and stress, and her mom's were anger. Yeah, my mother's was the anger, the stress, the alcohol, too. So individuals will mask and show their symptoms, Thea, in a lot of different ways. And we just have to basically know how to be aware, how to recognize it, know when to go get some help, and also know what to say, what not to say, and especially when it's dealing with our kids. Now, I'm looking at some information, and and I want to say this because it says, what is the most dangerous mental illness? The deadliest psychiatric disorders, we're talking about anorexia. Anorexia is one of the most lethal psychiatric disorders carrying a six-fold increased risk of death, four times the death of major depression, and the odds are even worse for people first diagnosed with anorexia in their 20s. I'm going to be having a lady on, and I'm going to give her a call. And 
this lady, she also works at a treatment facility for eating disorders because individuals don't understand how the eating disorders can also be related to depression, anxiety, sometimes childhood trauma. And when we start talking about anorexia nervosa or bulimia, which has to do with the binging and the purging, that right there could be a problem. And I'm going to throw right under the bus again because, see, remember when he kept trying mm-hmm. to eat and throw his food up? And I was like, uh-uh, no, 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 no we ain't going there. We are not going there. So we just want to be mindful. And a lot of times, especially with kids, kids will mimic symptoms or behaviors that they see other people doing. When we start looking at um, self-mutilating behaviors, because that's another one, some individuals will not only um, be dual diagnosed, but they will also um, self-mutilate. Anything you want to share right. with us? You got about four minutes left on the air. Um, when you see someone, well, okay, for me, I wouldn't call it self mutilation. Um, it was uh, definitely self destructive. I used to slam my head into walls and on the concrete, on the sidewalk, on the ground. But my thing was, <laughs> really, this is gonna. I'm just gonna say it. I used to want to bust my head open. I believed that if I could crack it open and look inside, I could figure out what was wrong with me. Mm, okay. Well, I want to say this in regards to, I'm looking at something from NAMI, and one of the things that indicated, we talk about mental health awareness and mental health awareness may be in the month of 2020, and NAMI hopes that today's that they will basically shed light on the strong established scientific consensus regarding mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar Mm -hmm. disorder, major depression, and anxiety disorder. But we have to realize that mental illnesses, they're real. It is real. They're real. It works. It can work if you let it work. And if it's not working for you, talk to your doctor, your therapist, your psychiatrist. And you got to remember or you got to know with therapy just because the therapists don't agree with you doesn't mean that they're not a good therapist. They're not supposed to agree with everything you've got going on. So, but mm-hmm. there are some good therapists out there. And telehealth sessions is something that a lot of individuals are utilizing because of the pandemic. And there is no scientific or economic justification for health plan to cover treatment for mental illness on terms that are different from other illnesses. And the benefits exceed any economic cost. And the risk of untreated mental illnesses, especially amongst children, are too great to accept or allow, meaning please mm-hmm. get your kids help. Now, Thea, you shared a lot of personal stuff about you. Tell them what you're doing mm-hmm. now because you're so happy to get an A on your test. Tell them what you are doing now. <laughs> While we sit there thinking, well, that woman and this and how, and I wonder what you're doing now. And she well, that's just. That's that's just because there is there is life with mental illness. You just have to give yourself a chance. If you know somebody who's displaying symptoms, get like I said, get to know them. Help them figure out that inside that mental madness is a beautiful brain. But it just takes the right person. It takes the right encouragement. For me, it was fear of being locked in an insane asylum for the rest of my life and the judge who ordered an evaluation. And not every medication is going to work for everybody. Keep trying until you find the one that does. Mm -hmm. 
Not every therapy is going to work for everybody. Keep going until you find the one that does because there's a world out there. There are so many people with mental illnesses. You become part of a group. You be your own group. I mean, we are special in ways that people don't even know. That's true. And there is support out there. Um, I want to apologize. Um, somebody just logged on. Number ended in three three. What do you want to add to the show before we end? Uh, my name is Nancy, and I just wanted to say um, I am very proud of you, Jeanette, for helping me get through what I went through during the past uh, several years. And um, I was diagnosed after I got run over um, with. Um, what is it, PTSD, major anxiety, major depression. My story is way too long to explain to anybody what I went through, and um, I just wanted to say thank you. You're welcome, Nancy. I appreciate you, and I like to hear your voice, and even the Michelles that didn't call in today. And I want to thank you for joining me at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio, and I've been on Facebook Live this whole time. And those of you that are out there that was watching or listening on Facebook, share this information. I take time out of my day as a professional to make sure that I am able to reach as many people as I possibly can. You can find the information, the shows, by Googling my name, Jeanette Abney, Podcast 2020. The shows are heard in different languages, different countries, because it is my way of giving back and trying to help those that are afraid or to or feel that no one cares, that they can connect with someone, because we do care. There are people that are care. People may not understand, but it doesn't mean that they don't care. Now, tomorrow is Tuesday, and that's when I do the segment from the pulpit to the couch. And I'm going to be talking about tested faith, because many individuals' faith is being tested, whether they realize it or not. We're being we talk about how we love God. We talk about how we believe in God. You know, Thea, we've been talking about people been sending flags for the casino. You know, we know the coronavirus <laughs> out there. They're talking about people go die. I don't want to be one of them that's going to die right now. You know, but they got all of this stuff out going on, and people's faith is being tested. And we're going to be talking right. about that live tomorrow at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. If you have any comments, suggestions for any upcoming shows, email me at jabnylmft at gmail.com or preciouspredicaments at gmail.com. I would love to hear your comments, your suggestions, and your input. Also, let me know if you want to be a guest on the show. Want to call in tomorrow? Give me a call at 516-387-1914. And until tomorrow, remember, you got this. And thank you, LaShawn, for trying to log on, but maybe you can come on tomorrow. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.